Hello and welcome to My PGCE, a podcast documenting my journey as a trainee teacher with a special focus on mental health. I am your host, James B. Good morning. Another week of the PGCE has passed, and it was quite the week. So let's get straight into it with the overview. Monday was spent at university, as usual, a subject studies day, and we had a guest speaker, a deputy head from a local inner city school, it was called Rob, and he talked to us about using competition in the classroom, how competition can be used to facilitate learning, and he gave us three different activities that involved different sorts of competition. And then we had a general Q&A with him, which was great because often what we discuss at university seems a bit abstract, but the conversation with him seemed rooted in ongoing concrete experience, which made teaching just seem more urgent. So that was a nice and welcome shift of tone. And at the end of that session, he told us that there would be a job vacancy coming up in his school and that if any of us were interested to let him know and he would arrange for us to visit the school. And I was indeed interested. We spoke afterwards and eventually arranged for me to visit his school on Wednesday morning. But before Wednesday comes Tuesday. Tuesday, I was in school. I observed a lesson. And then I taught a lesson. My first full lesson. And I won't go into it too much just now because I'm going to save it for the zooming in segment. After that lesson, which I taught... I observed a computer science lesson. I should add also that I was doing the computer science subject knowledge accelerator course for math students, and I took the test last Saturday and managed to pass. So I now have my GCSE subject knowledge certificate, but I'm going to continue observing a couple of computer science lessons a week It's a nice break from maths, but also it's just very interesting in itself. And if I ever do end up teaching computer science, I think it will be a very valuable experience. After that lesson, I taught another lesson. So the first one was year eights, and this one was year sevens. That was Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, as I said, I'd arranged to visit Rob's school this inner city school. Rob wasn't available to show me around, but the headmaster was. So the headmaster showed me around the school for an hour and spoke to me about all things teaching. So teaching in his school, the profession in general, his journey, the journey of his students, his teachers. Really fascinating. And again, I think I'll save this for the zooming in section. 
Okay, after I'd visited Rob's school, I was back to my usual school in the afternoon where I observed two lessons. The second was a year nine lesson on um, prime factor decomposition. So this is where you decompose or break down a number into a product of prime factors. So 8, for instance, can be written as 2 times 2 times 2. 10 can be written as 2 times 5, etc. I was only observing this lesson, but some of the students were flying ahead and I just took the liberty of giving them an extension exercise where I just wrote down a random 10-digit number and asked them to decompose it into a product of prime factors. And they seemed to have quite good fun with that. And they ended up encountering, with my help, and I was also using a, a prime factor calculator on my phone, but through this challenge, they ended up encountering some enormous prime numbers, which I think almost shocked them a little bit. I think I actually heard one of them say, I didn't know prime, fact I didn't know prime numbers went that high, which was just wonderful. Then on Thursday, I observed another computer science lesson. I even managed to help one student with some coding that he was having trouble with. I don't know how I managed that. Then I taught two lessons afterwards, again, year seven and year eight. And after that, I felt absolutely shattered. But fortunately, I didn't have a great deal on for the rest of the day. I had a few frees. And then after school, we had SEND training. So special educational needs and disabilities training which was really informative. On Friday, I taught two lessons, observed another. I also did some marking because I'd set a homework in one of the lessons I taught on Thursday, which by then had been handed back in. I only gave them a day to do their homework. That wasn't very nice, was it? But still... I think only two students didn't didn't hand it in, so I think that's pretty good. Um, yes, yeah, so I spent some of Friday marking that, which was an experience in itself. And then after school on Friday, I had my mentor meeting where we spoke about the lessons I taught that week, the lessons I taught this week, and about the lessons I will teach next week. And after that, as usual, it was staff football. So there's the overview. Right now, there are a few things I'm going to zoom in on this week. First, something that came up, actually a couple of things that came up at university on Monday. So the first thing was, as I said, um, the session was being led by Rob. Uh, the deputy head teacher from this local inner city school. And during the general Q&A, we got on to the topic of behaviour management. And he said that, generally speaking, you get some students who are well behaved and get on with their work. You don't need to worry about them. There are some students, usually a minority, who do have behaviour issues and don't get on with their work. 
But then most students fall in the middle, and he called them the sheep. And I think he called them this because they'll follow your lead as the teacher. So if you don't run a tight ship, then they'll take advantage of that and perhaps start misbehaving and learning will soon be disrupted. And Rob said that for controlling the sheep in the class, what matters are your explanations. They need to be crystal clear. The tasks that you set, they need to be clearly linked to the explanations you've just given them. It needs to be obvious. Your use of school systems, behaviour systems for dealing with behaviour issues. And I also wrote down confidence building. I think this meant building up the student's confidence to tackle these tasks. If they've got that confidence, then they'll be more likely to work and stay on task and less likely to get distracted. I think that was it. So those are some general strategies for how you can control the bulk of the class, these sheep. As for the students who will just misbehave, regardless of how you're teaching, Rob said, with them, it all comes down to personal relationships and trust. And it takes a while to build those, which I thought was really interesting. And again, it's encouraging to know that even from a experienced teacher in a fairly rough inner city school or an inner city school with a reputation for being fairly rough he was adamant that the majority of student behavior can be controlled and directed just through quality of teaching that was good to know he also talked us through his general lesson structure which was great to hear because i just began planning my lessons for the week and it followed a pretty similar structure, really. He said he would follow, well, he would have a starter to begin with, where he'd review past topics, usually something perhaps from last lesson, something from last week, from last term, and then maybe from last year as well. That'd be a starter. Then the rest of his lesson would proceed as follows. I do, we do, you do, we do. So in the I do section to begin with, that's when you give your crystal clear explanations along with examples. Then in the we do section next, you bring in the class to see if they get it. If they do get it, you proceed on to you do, which is where the students do their own work independently, or perhaps maybe in small groups, who knows. If they don't get it after the we do section, then you go back to I do and explain again, do some more examples and see how they get on with those. And then at the end, after they've done their independent work, hopefully, if they've gotten that far, there's another we do section where you go through answers, have a plenary, etc., and when we're exposed to so many different ways of planning lessons, hearing from an experienced teacher how they structure their lessons in a fairly simple, straightforward way, again, was reassuring. I do, we do, you do, we do. 
It may not be the perfect structure, but it certainly works. And it's a good foundation to build upon. That seemed to be Rob's general message, which I thought was worth sharing with you. Something else that also came up during this session at university, not during Rob's session in the morning, but during the afternoon session, was this idea that learning is invisible. It seems to come up again and again that learning is something you can't observe. And so you just have to rely on a host of proxies, some of which are reliable, some of which are unreliable, in order to try to gauge whether your students are actually learning anything. And I have to say, I don't think learning is invisible. I think that we see it all the time. I think the idea that learning is invisible is built on this assumption that mental processes like learning are things that happen exclusively inside heads, behind skin and skull, which I don't believe. I think mental processes are extended. I think they involve aspects of the environment. They involve other people. They involve actions, your body, all of which are indeed observable. For example, if I see a bear and run away, and you observe me run away, what you've seen is part of my perception of the bear. Because if I'd seen the bear and not run away, then surely you'd say he hasn't seen the bear. Me running away from the bear is part of the act of perception. And again, I think with learning, there are all sorts of things in the classroom, in the environment, that constitute the mental process of learning. And if you can observe those, then you can observe learning. It is visible. And this has to be the assumption in classrooms, because otherwise, why bother trying to control behaviour? If we have no clue what learning looks like, then why are we happy when one student is focused on you as the teacher and on the board and on the task, but other students who are messing around at the back with one another, if we don't know what learning looks like, why bother telling them off? Why bother trying to get them to behave? It's because we do have an idea of what learning looks like. And whatever it looks like, it looks more like the student who's paying attention than it does the students who are messing around at the back. And again, when you're marking books, and you see a student's understanding progress over time, what are you seeing if not learning? They go from getting a question wrong all of the time to getting that sort of question right sometimes and then getting it right all the time. What have you observed there if not a record of learning? Okay, yes, so to bring it together, I think the the idea that learning is invisible is built on this faulty assumption that mental processes only occur inside people's heads, when in fact they don't. They're extended, I think, into our environments. And the learning process involves all sorts of things in our environments, in the classroom, which can indeed be observed. I think you can see, perceive learning. The next thing I want to zoom in on was the first lesson I taught ever. 
it was on Tuesday the 9th of November, period 5, a year 7 class, top set, and I was teaching them how to collect like terms. This is within the algebra unit. And it went just fine. It certainly wasn't perfect. I'd say the lesson structure was pretty clean at the start. But at the end, it got a bit messy. My plenary wasn't very well defined. And I was trying to run through answers and do various other things. So yeah, the end became a bit hurried. And in general, that's how I felt throughout. I felt hurried. I felt like there were so many things I had to try to keep an eye on and take account of. Um, And I was sweating buckets. (laughs) It was a nerve-wracking experience. Although I think I realised that many of the things I was trying to pay attention to weren't essential for what I was trying to achieve as the teacher that day. So in subsequent lessons, I didn't have to pay attention to them, or at least not to the same extent as I tried to do in my first lesson, and just ended up spreading myself a little bit thin. But still, that first lesson went well, I'd say. I think the kids learned something, and that's the most important thing. And the head of maths at the end, who was, it was his lesson that I was taking over, and he observed. He said he thought it was really great. He said, he said it was better than the first lesson he taught. And there are various tweaks I still need to make and adjustments in order to have a really good lesson. But he said that all the things that are difficult to teach a trainee teacher, things like classroom awareness and classroom management, he said he thought that I already have which is really encouraging because if I've at least got some grasp on that side of things, then I can just focus on, or I can focus predominantly on teaching, on the material, the content. So on the whole, I'd say my first lesson was a really positive experience. It went well, or at least it didn't go badly. And by the end of it, I had some things that... I knew I needed to work on, but which were easily addressed. So, for instance, some of the feedback I got was that the font was too small on my presentation. It couldn't be seen at the back, so that was an easy enough fix. I should also have one example per slide instead of cramming them all onto one. And also he said that my pacing could be a bit faster. For this group in particular anyway, they're a very competent group, these year sevens. I could move at a quicker rate, have a bit more energy, be a bit less boring basically. And in that first lesson, towards the end of my explanations, I was fe- I did feel that I was losing the room a little bit. They were getting a bit bored. But at least I was aware of it. And I tried to address this in subsequent lessons. I tried to make my examples a bit punchier And generally my explanations still clear, but quicker, like get them onto the task sooner so they can get practicing. Again, this isn't something that you'd you'd want to do with every class, especially a bottom set. But with this top set year sevens, the general advice was to just get moving, basically. 
But still, like I said, it was a good experience. And as the week went on, I made these amendments and generally became less and less stressed throughout the week. And by Friday, I taught two lessons first thing, back to back. And they didn't really phase me. I certainly wasn't sweating buckets. So I think that's progress right there. Okay, I think that's all. Oh no, what am I talking about? So the other thing I want to zoom in on, the last thing I want to zoom in on, is my visit to this inner city school on Wednesday morning, where the head teacher showed me around for an hour. I'm not going to say much, but I'd say this visit renewed my sense of moral purpose as a teacher. A lot of the kids in this school are very vulnerable and from fairly desperate situations. And for them, school is its their escape route, basically, and perhaps their only escape route. And the head teacher knew this, and it burned like a fire within him. And I've always believed that teaching is important, but never have I felt it so strongly as I did on this visit to this inner city school. There was an urgency to the place. An urgency that my current placement school doesn't really have. My current placement school, I think, is an excellent school. And I'm not entirely sure what explains the difference. My first guess was that Many of the students, the majority of the students at the inner city school are in quite desperate circumstances. Whereas in my current placement school, it's a rural school, most of the students have pretty stable backgrounds, strong families. So for them, school is obviously still incredibly important, but if they don't get the best GCSEs, they'll still never go hungry. Maybe that explains the difference. I don't know. I think that must be it. So the consequences of not getting the best education in the inner city school were far more dire than the consequences of not getting the best education in my current placement school, this rural school. Maybe that explains the sense of urgency in the inner city school. I don't know. Just speculating. So that's it. That's all the Zooming for this week. How's my mental health been? This week's been one of those funny weeks where I've felt so busy that I haven't had a great deal of time to reflect on or even notice my mental health. And that's not always the best thing because your mental health can be deteriorating without you knowing it. So it is important to check in every so often. Like I said, I was particularly stressed at the thought of teaching lessons, especially to begin with. But that stress after my first few lessons, my first few positive experiences, that stress did decrease and I felt better and better and more comfortable. But because of that stress, I think that I was running on adrenaline for much of this week and struggled to sleep at night. So I've been very tired. Last night, Friday night, I'd say, was the first good night's sleep I've had in five days, maybe. And so there were points during the week where I, when 
all of a sudden, I knew that my anxiety was quite high. It happened once when I was driving in, I think on Thursday morning. I had a little bit of a panic. But it was only a small one, and it didn't last very long, and it passed pretty quickly. So I think what has kept me going this week and protected my mental health, despite all the stress and lack of sleep, has been my routines. I make sure I eat a good breakfast. I do my breathing exercises in the morning. I have cold shower afterwards. Well, I have a a normal shower and then a cold shower, but it's part of the Wim Hof method, which I've discussed in previous episodes. I have my food for break and lunchtime packed and ready to go, and it's good food. I have a high-protein yogurt and a banana at break time, and I've got egg mayo sandwich for lunch, which I prepare the night before. And then I still managed to get to the gym on Tuesday, no, on Monday and Wednesday evenings. And I make sure I eat well in the evenings and I stay hydrated throughout the day. So yeah, just these little routines of eating regularly, making sure it's good food, my breathing exercises in the morning, going to bed early, regardless of whether I can sleep or not. I think it was these routines that safeguarded my mental health throughout this fairly stressful week. And so despite the stress, I feel pretty good. I'd say my mental health is pretty robust. And that's really, that gives me a lot of confidence. Because I'd say this has been the most demanding week of the course so far, and I didn't crumble under the pressure. I mean, this may be the single biggest milestone in the course. This was the week where I first taught full lessons. Sure, I'll gradually build up and teach more and more lessons throughout the course. But I think the leap from not teaching to teaching your first lesson has to be the the greatest, I'd have thought, in the entire course. And I've made that leap and I survived. So onwards and upwards. I hope your week went well. We'll talk again next Saturday. If you like the episode, please spread the word in person and on social media. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at MyPGCEPod or email MyPGCEPod at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate and review in your directory of choice. Please also consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash MyPGCEPod and helping fund both the podcast and my PGCE course. Thank you and talk again soon.